We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look at Proverbs chapter 8 that Jared did not read to us. It's a long proverb. He was a wise young man, knows not to crowd me. All right. And so in Proverbs chapter 8, I'll just say this. This is one of the most remarkable texts in the Bible. And they asked me if I wanted to give a title of this text. We're going to call it the first fundamental. In a sense, this is fundamental, what this text is going to teach, to everything about life. It was not a great issue in our country until really about the mid-1900s. And if you were a follower of C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaeffer, um, Oz Guinness, it became an issue of how can you know what is true. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote the book, The God Who Is There, and then he wrote another one called He Is There and Not Silent, that God has not left us in the dark as to what is right and what is true, that God has spoken. And that's the first fundamental that you begin with as a, as a Christian, that God has spoken and we can know what the truth is. And so you just stay with me here and watch this unfold. Now, we went through two texts, two chapters of hookers, if you'll remember. I'm done with them, boy. And now in chapter 8, verse 1, another woman calls out. Another intimate calls to sons. Does not wisdom call? And understanding lift up her voice. If you have ever known uh, a saint of God, uh, you stewards, uh, Jane and Revo, didn't they have Bibles that were their Bibles that they had all of their life worn out with Revo? It was probably taped up and duct taped and everything else. That's because wisdom became their friend. That Bible was their closest friend. It was their intimate. The Lord is my shepherd. Wisdom calls and understanding lifts up her voice. There's another woman that you have to become intimate with. And she calls in verse two, on the heights, the paths, the gates, the opening of the city, and the entrance of the doors. She calls publicly to all and to any. If you know anything about comparative religion, this is not the case with other ideologies. That there is nothing secretive about divine wisdom. It is bound. The king of Persia said to Ezra, he spoke that you have the wisdom of God in your hand. Uh, there's nothing hidden, nothing mystic, nothing off limits, that we have no shamans that are in the cave getting special. We have no Delphic oracles that are getting special insights. We have no yogis, no higher gnosis, as in Gnosticism, no Brahmins, that it's made known to us that just as the living word, God became a man and you could touch him and listen and look at him. And so the written word, one in flesh and blood, one in pen and ink, and it's right in front of you. Colossians chapter one, verse seven speaks of uh, the wisdom that has come to you and to all the world also. God so loved the world. It's, you don't have to go into a cave or climb Mount Kilimanjaro to learn it. It's made known to us. It's right here. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, God in the Old Testament law, after Moses gave uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, God says, uh, do not say who will ascend into heaven to get my word or who will go across the abyss, the ocean, to get my word. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to go to India. You don't have to go to Japan. You don't have to go and do an, uh, an Australian walkabout in the, act, in the outback. You don't have to do that. God has made himself known. He is, he is uh, where you can put your hand on it and read it in the synagogue. That verse, incidentally, is quoted in Romans by the Apostle Paul, not about the law, but about salvation in Christ. If you want to get saved, do not say who will ascend into heaven because Christ has come down or who will go into the abyss because he's come up from the dead. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Confess with your mouth. He is Lord. God has raised him and you shall be saved. So you don't have to be a spook. All right. You don't have to listen for voices. Uh, you don't have to have special antenna. You don't have to reach the beta level. Hum. It's right here and you can hear it. And so when Jesus died, he died at the busiest time of the year, Passover, our Easter, in the most religious city of the year of the world, Jerusalem, where if you push all the continents together, Israel is dead center, Jerusalem is dead center, right there. He dies outside the busiest place, the Damascus Gate. He dies on a cross, spread. You can see him. Side to side, front to back, top to bottom. You can see him. And there is, he does it at nine o'clock to three o'clock on Easter, essentially, Good Friday. At Passover, when all the Jews are there, all of them that have the Bible that says he's coming, you can read he's coming and there he is. Paul said to King Agrippa, these things did not happen in a corner. You know these are true. And they wrote his name. Remember the plaque, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews? Do you remember that uh, it tells us how many languages it was in? Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The religious man, Latin, the Roman legal man, and Greek, the philosophers. The big issues of life, religion, law, truth, philosophy. Here it is, right here. So I'm going to hang him out for six hours, and you can see it. And so she says, wisdom is here. In verse 4, there's only one requirement. To you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men, naive ones. Understand prudence. Fools. You ever have the Bible just call you a fool? That's, he just tells you, you're a fool. Understand wisdom. Listen. All that is required is you have to say that I don't know. That's all. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are broken, that are meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for what they don't have. Righteousness, and it shall be given. So Solomon became king. He prayed a prayer. God appeared to him. He said, what would you like? Solomon said, I would like wisdom because I am a child. I don't know my going out or my coming in. I don't know anything. He was 20 years old, a college junior. Can you think of anything stupider than a junior in college? He said, I don't know anything. 
And God said, I like that. You didn't ask for wealth or the life of your enemies. I like that. I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you all this stuff too. You know what I'd say? I would say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things. We'll take care of them. But you've got to be straight on that. And so all you've got to know is that you don't know. In verse 6, I speak noble things. This truth is going to separate you from the masses. If you can name me any of the greats, Lincoln, Washington, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, uh, Harriet Tubman, you give me a great person and I'll point it back to a virtue that is found in them. The, the virtuous guys get the Nobel Peace Prize. The bad guys get the Museum of Horrors. All right. And so I will make you better than the crowd if you'll come to me. The opening of my lips will reveal right things because my mouth will utter, what's the last word? Truth, what we're seeking. Stay with me. Let me bore you for just a minute. Okay. Back before the 8th century BC, in the pagan world, not Israel, they had the truth, but in a world that, like Paul said, they're like blind men groping for the truth. You would see them feel things and not know what they were. Before about the 8th century, it would have been, oh, maybe a thousand years after the Tower of Babel, uh, truth was found in nature and giving a, a personality to nature, a God behind the rain, a God behind the mountain, a God behind the grass, sacrifice virgins in the spring for the fertility of the crops. They deified nature, graven images. And at about the eighth century, they saw that it didn't work. And there was a major movement. Whenever you read a book on world history, they'll come to the 8th century BC when something changed. Something changed in India, in China, in Persia. It changed in Greece. And it even changed in Israel. Let me explain that. Um, in India, the major religion was Hinduism, which worships the Indus River. It makes nature God. Everything is God and God is everything. That evil and diversity in creation is an illusion. It's maya. And you've got to get rid of the individuality of yourself to enjoy life and find peace. That's called belona ayi. Okay. <laughs> it don't work. All right. Everybody must get stoned. You remember that, Steve? How many have no earthly idea what I just said? Right there. Okay. Don't worry about it. What was I talking about? I'm going to Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. And so a guy named Gautama, the enlightened one, Buddha, he went forth from his Persian castle. He was a prince. And he said, dang, I've been lied to. There is evil out there. It's not an illusion. I see it. And he said, the problem with evil is man. That a boy, Gautama. And to get rid of evil, you have to get rid of the nature of man. boy, Gautama. And the way we're going to do it is by meditation and getting rid of the self, where you will feel desire no longer. And that will bring 
nothingness known as nirvana. Nirvana, nothingness. And so you didn't deal with the problem. You just didn't, you just looked past it. It didn't work. But nonetheless, they had get, gotten rid of gods and looked to trying to find the good. In uh, China, you had a guy, I believe his name was Lao Tzu. We call him Confucius. He said, get rid of the gods. We can't just look at life after death, what we're going to try to do. We've got to find life here. And he said, you need to be under the submission to parents and the elders. You need to exalt tradition. That's why China is such into ancestors. And he said, and you need to do what is best. Confucius say, and so do what is good. So just like Gautama, he's saying at the same time, get rid of the gods. Let's use human reason and conscience to find good. Go Confucius. But he didn't know where you could find it. Just submit to your parents. It's a good try. And then in uh, Greece, well, actually in Persia, you had a guy named Zoroaster. And he felt that there were not gods, there was a good and evil force. And you had to go with the good more than the evil and find the good. See also Star Wars. It is. Star Wars is Zoroastrian. And then there was a guy in Greece. And he got rid of the gods. As a matter of fact, they poisoned him and killed him. The name was Socrates. You know what he died for? It was called atheism because he got rid of the gods. And he said, quit trying to find gods. Know yourself. Go into yourself and find what is good. Quit worrying about the gods. Find the good. The aretas. We get the word art. Virtue. And so you had all of those guys at the same time seeing man growing almost like an individual person saying, this doesn't work. Well, in Israel, they started where all the other nations were reaching for. God takes them out of Egypt, and there on Mount Sinai, a guy named Charlton Heston, okay, Moses gives them the Mosaic law, commands about God, parents, and your neighbor, and yourself. Don't covet and you're trying, what is, what is the summation of all the law? Love your neighbor, love God, and such as fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. Well, that was in 1400 BC. They predated the other guys 600 years. And at the same time that these guys, Zoroaster, Confucius, Gautama, at the same time that they're doing this, Israel had wandered off. They were meant to be. In your seed shall the nations be blessed. You're meant to be a blessing. But they became a problem. And so in 800 AD, BC, you had the prophets. In the north, you had Amos and Hosea. In the south, in, in uh, Judea, you had Micah and Isaiah. A-H-M-I. Ami. And that's what they were called, the Ami prophets. God calling Israel back to law. Okay? And so the Israel started where everybody else defected from. I mean, it was, I can't imagine our country doing that. But that's what they did. They were the chosen people. Abraham Lincoln called us the almost chosen people. <laughs> we had the truth and wandered off. And so 
the prophets call them back because they were getting judged for their idolatry and going into captivity. And right into this morass of a world doing this, here comes in the year zero, uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This will be a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped and swaddling a newborn lying in a manger and his name will be called Christ, the Lord, the Savior. God has become one of us. And that is why it is felt that the two spectators to the incarnation were shepherds, the lowly of Israel, and then the wise men. They were seminary professors from the East that are groping for the truth. And they say such a cryptic statement. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Where is he? These were the wise, or as my son called them, the wise guys, okay. And they're looking for the king. We've seen his star in the night and have come to worship him. And so into this came Jesus. You ever read those texts that said, in the fullness of the times, God sent forth his son. God sent him at just the right time where there was a fissure in humanity. Which way you going? What's sad is that Israel went back and the nations embraced him, many of them, and went ahead. Go figure. And so, verse 7. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. It's not just rational truth. It is um, enraging truth. It's the truth of a person that gets angry. It's the truth of God. And he's inerrant in what he says. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. Nothing is crooked or perverted. And so truth is inseparable from right and wrong. Incidentally, on the college campus today, can you use that term sin, evil, and wrong? We'll look for truth, just not for God. And so you can't say that word. Uh, verse 9, they are straightforward, which is the word in Hebrew that means right opposite you. They're in front of you. They're plain and they're simple. Here's a proverb that goes like this. The words of men are like deep waters. You ever have people talk to you and you're not sure where they're coming from? You're not sure if you know what they're saying? The, the words of men are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. God is up front. We would say up front. They're up front. Just read. That's all you got to do. Matter of fact, y'all ever heard of a guy named Augustine invented the grass? <laughs> I was just checking. St. Augustine. He was a guy in the early Christian days who had rejected the gospel, but his mother Monica preached to him and became a, he was a sexual deviant is what he was. He had a sex addict. He was a sex addict and became a college professor. <laughs> okay. He did. And uh, he quit being a professor, though, because the kids wouldn't do what he said. Times don't change, really. But 
he was extremely down, despairing, and depressed because of his own sin. And philosophy couldn't help him. He had tried Zoroastrianism, Manichaeanism, and it didn't work. And uh, he was at a place of great despair. True story. And he was in Rome and heard a child in the house next door. And the child was singing a nursery rhyme and swinging, the legend says, on a swing on a tree branch. And he heard the kid say, arise and read, arise and read, arise and read. And he thought, hmm, I think I'll do that. And there at a table on his house was a scroll that was the book of Romans. And his eyes fell upon Romans 13. Uh, uh, the time past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. Having pursued it, and talks about all the wickedness he had done. And he said, I repent. And he got saved, became the greatest theologian for the first thousand years of the church. Rise and read, rise and read, you idiot. All right. It's right here. I threw that in there. It wasn't in the nursery. Verse nine, they're straightforward. Just read. What part of all scriptures inspired by God do you not understand? Read. And it's right to those who find knowledge. And thus, this is in verse 10, your greatest possession. Take my instruction, not silver, knowledge, not choicest gold. Wisdom is better than jewels. Is it possible to you to have three degrees and ruin your life because of inability to make moral decisions? I don't know how to be a husband, don't know how to be a wife, don't know how to be a worker, don't have a work ethic, but I've got three degrees, PhD, post hole digger, all right? <laughs> and so it's possible to do that. You let me have a kid. This is what Drew and Christy Faulkner do. Give me a kid. Let me teach him the word of God and instruct him in the truth of God for nine months. Then I'll give him to you for the rest of your life. And you can do with him what you want. True story. Whenever in the Middle Ages you began to see the phenomena of what were called universities, it was because up until that time, the only literate people were the clergy. Okay. Wasn't there printing... That meant books were not that popular. Only the clergy could read. And uh, in the Middle Ages, you began to see uh, in, in an industrial revolution begin, inventiveness begin. Men were breaking free of being servants underneath the land-holding Lord, and they were starting to do what was called a trade. And they began to start guilds. And you could become a copper or a tinker with silver or a barber. The apprentice time was like two weeks. Okay. You could become a barber. You could become a goldsmith. You could become a blacksmith, a silversmith. And you could now deal not just with bartering. You could now deal with coinage and money. And so that started. And you started to see the rise, not just of the owner and the worker, but you remember your history that you forgot? You saw the arisal of what? middle class, the businessman who could make his own way and you gave birth to what was called ambition. And these guys wanted to learn, but they didn't want to go in the ministry. So they started universities and they would pay a professor to teach them. They had rules for it too. And so the first universities, the first was in Italy, Bologna, Bologna, okay? And that was your first one. And then you had them in Padua and a lot of places, 
But in England, you had Oxford and Cambridge. And they felt that the job of the university was to train the boys, sorry ladies, but it was to train the boys that were the children of the landed gentry, the lords, to run the country and their parliaments. And so they would train these university boys to st that started at 16, usually. And they trained them to know moral philosophy, the classics, Homer, Bible, as far as the Catholic Church regulated. And they taught them to be, in a sense, Renaissance men before the Renaissance. They were to be wise and godly and holy men because they had to run the company, the country. In Germany, they saw the arisal of universities, but it was not to make a whole man with the knowledge of God to instruct us to the good. That you had men that declared, you ready? It was called a major. And it lets you hit one key on the typewriter. And so if you were gonna be this and this other guy be that, you could together come together to make a successful commerce and society so you could have capital flowing. Now, when America began, we started with the English model. Harvard was begun because of a guy named John Harvard. There was a Puritan from England that had a library and we got his library and named it after him. So it's Harvard. And then as they began to go south in their theology, Yale. And then as they went south, Princeton. And so the first universities in the United States followed the English rule that if you don't know God, you're not going to be able to rule. Amen? You better know God. The Puritans had a rule that was called the Old Deceiver Satan Act. And they felt that if you had a town of 50, you were by law had to have a school because the entrance of thy word giveth light. And Christianity assumes literacy, communication. And so in early America, you had schools. When we went to the West, we had to have schools because if you don't know your Bible, you can't read. If you can't read, you don't know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, it's the wild, wild West. And so we followed the English model. You have to know your Bible and you gotta make moral decisions. As America grew, we changed to the German model. Why? Because the German model didn't have in mind those that were born into leadership. Is there anything more disgusting to an American than being ruled by some guy because of his birth certificate? And so we now had the German model where you would take a major so you could finish and excel in business and make money and spend money and the capitalistic system would run. Now, what do you think the church, the Bible, what does that honor? You know, in Israel, every boy had to be taught the law. Every boy had to be taught a trade. And every boy had to be taught how to swim. Because we didn't want to lose any Jews in the Sea of Galilee. All right. So you had to be able to swim, which helped Paul. It was in a sea, wreck, a sea ship, or what do you call them things you wreck at sea? Shipwreck, yeah. I'm struggling with the, uh, um, yeah. Anheuser's, that's what it is. Picked it up in college. Yeah. 
And so you had to teach Jewish boys Bible. And then you taught them a trade. Then you taught them how not to drown. But you had to know your Bible. Have things changed? Have things changed? Yeah. Well, keep watching. In verse 12, I dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. Prudence and discretion means that you make moral choices. Biblical wisdom is not sterile. You, it, it has a hook on it. It talks about right and wrong. Let me ask you, on the college campus today, if a professor talks about the immorality of sleeping around, the Persian, the perversion of sodomy, if he talks about gender being something you're born with, God forbid, that you don't dictate and determine, what will happen to him? He's gone. And these are ideas that the opposite would have got you gone 50 years ago. Whenever a culture gets rid of God, it becomes indecent, immoral, violent, depressed, and finally it becomes mad. It goes crazy and it starts applauding the jungle. And so right and truth in the Bible is inseparable from life change. In verse 13, here's the origin of it. Watch the first five words of verse 13. The fear of the Lord. That's where wisdom begins, is God. Steve Poe, if I preach that on a campus, am I in trouble? That truth comes from God. And Harvard, the shield of the university, was originally, uh, let's see, two books lying open that represented the Old and the New Testament. And then a book in the middle turned down. And that was the knowledge of man. That was Harvard. We know nothing. God reveals everything. Nothing originates with man. It's all with God. They changed the sheet. The book in the middle, they turned up. We got something to say. Do you really? And so it's the fear of the Lord. John Paul Sartre, a French philosopher, watching the end of all philosophies. He was in the 1950s, 1940s, 1960s. And he had seen the progress from Socrates on. And every time a guy would come up with a philosophy supposedly to find truth in life, the question was always, says who? Says who? Can your reason ever be wrong? Anybody married? Can reason ever misguide you? So you're telling me that by raison, by reason, you're going to find truth. And the argument went, how do you know that you are thinking or that you are not a daydream in the mind of an iguana on the beach? North Texas State, 1969. That's what we were told. It's an epistemological morass. You don't know what is true. And so when you get rid of God, the source of truth, you have cut off the limb you sit on, and you don't know. And so we would invent other epistemological ways to find truth. And Sartre finally said this great statement, you ready? This is the end 
of about uh, 2,000 years of philosophy. Unless there is an infinite reference point, an infinite personal reference point that itself is not a referenced by anything else is the source of all that exists. And if it doesn't make itself known, all points, man, woman, sex, baby, child, history, nukes, whatever, all points are meaningless. You can study their mechanics and their material, but you can't know what they mean. Now, Sartre, an atheist, said that. Was he right? Yes. The Greek would say, darn right, I believe. Yes, he was. If you don't know who God is, then all other points, you don't really know what they are. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, someone was there already. In the beginning, God created everything. The heavens and the place where the drama took place. Earth and man is in his image. And here's what evil is. And the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you try to know right and wrong by yourself and become a secularist, and the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, you're a dead man. You're a dead man walking. Eat of the tree of life and be in fellowship with me and everything's gonna make sense. When Adam was created, he was a philosopher. He saw God and everything made sense. Adam had no questions. First question was by the devil. Did God not say? Well, the fear of the Lord is where it begins. If you don't have God, all you can learn is mechanics, but you can't ultimately have meaning. Pride and arrogance in the, in the evil way, I hate. The perverted mouth, I hate. Verse 14, wisdom is found among the great. Counsel is mine. When you want to try to correct somebody and bring them back to the truth, God says, you're in my territory. I do that. I'm the says who. Have any of you ever heard of a counselor named Jay Adams? He developed what was called neuthetic counseling. And basically, in the mid-1900s, um, psychology is a science that didn't begin godly and wander away. One guy said that it was conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. All right. It began with secular. It began with uh, Freud, an atheist. And what it tried to do is counsel you and to get away from the idea that that is wrong, you need to change and do right. They felt that was primitive. And counseling began to get bizarre. And it kind of moved in on Christianity and took over. And a guy named Jay Adams, from I believe it was from Princeton, and he wrote a book called Competent to Counsel. And it was from Romans 15 that says, I myself are convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to counsel one another. Steve Pogue, I know you and Rose both are godly folks, been around a long time, even though they're young. And Rosie, you do counseling. You're competent. Rose knows her Bible. Steve knows his Bible. And so a young guy can come to them. Did you ever have young guys, you were a professor at North Texas, did you ever have kids come to you that said, forget finance or law, could you help me out with this about my life? They came to you for the right reason. You had a standard of truth. You didn't move. You could butt up against it, put your foot back and swing off of it. There was something there. Otherwise, you're just punching while you're underwater. 
and you can't dig in anywhere. And so God says, counsel, that's my deal. Sound wisdom, what's the word phileo Sophia? Phileo, the love. Sophia, wisdom, sophos. Phileo Sophia. What word do we get? Philosophy. God says philosophy, looking for truth. That's mine. I give sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. Political science is mine. We have a Republican government, a Republican democracy, that the crowd, the, Demo, the crowd, the demo, takes a representative, repo, and we all vote to get representatives that represent us. Why do we want to vote? Because we're not at the mercy of a birth certificate. We can choose a man or a woman who is good and wise and strong that we want to be like. So what is the foundation of kings, politburos, monarchs, tyrants, and Democrats? What's the foundation? God. And so if you, do you think that our country is charmed because we vote? Our country is charmed because hopefully idiots don't vote. That people vote that have their wits about them and can put proper guys in government. What happens if you get rid of the Bible and God? All you need is about three generations of idiots to elect idiots. I'm going to move on. All right. And so in 15, kings reigned by me. What was the first thing Moses built when he came down the mountain? The tabernacle. What was the first thing David did? Moved the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the country. What was the first thing Solomon did? Built a temple. What was the first thing the returnees did from exile? Built a temple. Christ came and built a temple called the church to be a blessing to the society. So God says, whether it's counseling, philosophy, political science, morality, you're talking about what I do. And he goes on to say, by me, princes, rules and noble, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. You show me a great man or a great woman, I'll trace it back to a virtue. Who said this? Let righteousness flow down like waters and justice like an ever-flowing stream. Who said that? Martin Luther King. That was his verse. His movement came from the image of God. Who got rid of slavery over in England? Wilberforce, a Calvinistic evangelical. Who got rid of, uh, uh, brought prison reform? It was, uh, oh, a woman over in England. Somebody, okay? And she brought, she was a Christian. She was a Quaker. And it's all right and wrong. And so, give you a good example. And whenever you watch one of the great Christian sequels, Gunsmoke. Who in here has no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, here's your assignment. Go home and get Roku. And get Gunsmoke. 27 years, that's not a bad run. Matt Dillon. All right. When you look at the icon at the end of Gunsmoke that they put up, filmed in Hollywood, and you see the caricature, 
It's Matt Dillon. James Arnous was a Norwegian. He was six foot seven. And he was white-haired. He was blonde-headed. They dyed it black. All right. But he was a Viking. And so he's six foot seven with a star. He never loses a fight. All he got to do is backhand you. He'll knock you over the bar, you know. Uh, he only lost one gunfight. Did you know that? The first show he lost and came back and killed again. Okay. And so that was Matt Dillon. And when you look at the uh, icon, you see a six foot seven man standing there, faceless, but the light is coming down and all that is on this side of him is in the light and it divides at his face because his face is like a granite facade coming out and it divides and everything's dark over here and it's light over here. What were they trying to say? That good and evil part ways at Matt Dillon. Okay. How did, who was Matt Dillon's girlfriend? Miss Kitty. How many times did he kiss her in 27 years? Once. At the Christmas show, at a Christmas party, a little peck on the lips. That's a man. Okay. Why do I say that? I have no idea. Oh, yeah. Matt Dillon, if you did evil, he was on that horse, that buckskin horse, and he would trace you all over Kansas until he got you. He was the, that's why they say that in the 50s and 60s, all shows were cowboy shows. Because as our world became more modern and dysfunctional, there was something encouraging about going back to the 1870s and a guy with a star where light and dark divided. You know who shot more people than anybody in history? Chuck Connors. What am I talking about? Rifleman. He shot like 300 guys. He shot him in his living room. Uh, in the church. I mean, he, yeah. Watch the beginning of <laughs> Rifleman. How many times does he pump that thing? 13 times. He empties his gun into you. And then he walks at you and he smiles. And he starts loading his gun again. It's my kind of guy, all right? Verse 17. True wisdom bestows blessing. I love those who love me. John 14, 21. He who keeps my word, he it is who loves me. And he that loves me will be loved by my father and I'll love him and I'll reveal myself to him. You obey me and you now are in keeping with life. And so he goes on to say that riches and honor are with me. We would say success and popularity and respect, enduring wealth and righteousness, true wealth, joy, and peace. Would you rather be Ebenezer Scrooge or would you rather be Bob Cratchit? Debbie, which one? I want to be the good guy, Bob Cratchit. He had true wealth. And the spirit of Christmas present would take Ebenezer to look at his house and say, look at what they have with that little bitty goose. Look what they have and look what you don't have because they have righteousness. They're in church. Uh, my fruit is better than gold, better than silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice. Question, can you separate truth from life? 
You ever hear those presidential debates where they'll scour the uh, candidates or they'll keel haul the uh, Supreme Court nominees and they always want to know something? You, you're a Catholic, is that right, Judge? Yes. You're a born-again Christian, is that right, mister? Whatever, yeah. Do you think that your beliefs will interfere with your rule? No. No, it's ridiculous. You believe in God, you think that will interview, interfere with how you... If you're going to vet some guy to be a babysitter, what are you going to ask him? What he thinks about humanity and God and right and wrong. And so God says, you want to find righteousness and justice, you're going to find it with me. You're not going to find it with somebody else. Steve, our country has never figured this out in the last hundred years. Do we want righteousness? Do we want justice? Do we want liberty and justice for all? Yes. Do we want God? No. Go figure. No effect is greater than the cause. I don't want God, the source of all righteousness, truth, and goodness, but I want it in my leaders. You better be Merlin if you're going to get it because it's going to be magic and you're not going to get it. And we can't figure that out. In verse 21, I endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. You're going to be truly successful. And in verse 21, this is the great part of it. Wisdom says, I'm something eternal. Before the works of old, I was there. From everlasting, I was there. From the beginning, I was there. When there were no depths, no springs, before the mountains, the hills, the fields, the first dust. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. You know what that means? When you go out on a cruise and you look at the horizon, what does it look like? It's bent. Amen? It's bent because the earth is a sphere. God knew that when he made it. It holds everything together. It's called gravity. And so he says, when I inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, made firm the skies, the springs of deep fed the oceans, I set the sea for a boundary. Verse 30, I was there. The point is, and he spins notice from verse 22 all the way through verse 31, that wisdom is the ground of creation. So if you're going to try to do anything from the dust of the ground to verse 31, the glories of man, you're going to have to do it with God. He is the foundation of all reality. If you want to be a good husband, a good wife, a good kid, a good worker, a good anything, you better know God. It's inseparable. God dictates life the way it really is. That's called truth. And so I pour my blessing out on those who know me. In verse, it's my old buddy here, Ray Meckel. Are you here, Ray? There's Ray in the back back there. I saw Ray come to Christ years back. Ray was an atheist. We met over at Myotech Gym. We lifted the same weights. What he curled, I benched. All right. But we lifted the same weights. But Ray was an atheist, and we would talk back and forth. And I noticed that his lifestyle was just like mine. He was like a staunch conservative. He believed in the leadership of a man tenderly, the submission of a wife, corporal punishment of children, uh, shooting bad guys. I mean, he was right with me. He believed in not lying. If I gave Ray a 
a letter with a, or a note with a letter in it and said, Ray, do not ever open this. It would never be opened. He was honest, but he was an atheist. And I said to him, you remember this, Ray? Okay. He's the guy who's about six foot and about 320. So don't go get a hug from him. All right. Or he'll break all your bones. Okay. But I said, Ray, you and I are the same guys, but I do what I do for the right reasons. You do it contrary to what you believe. Your belief system has no final absolute, but you live like a Republican. I live like one because I believe in God. And Ray decided one day that he would be consistent. And uh, now he is. And so that's what he says. All the things you want to be, they come from me. I make them. He goes on to say, verse 32, so listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Heed instruction, be wise. You've got to have literacy and teachability. Verse 34, you have to have daily discipline, watching at the gates, waiting at the doorpost. You have to have a hunger for truth. And if you find me, 35, you find life. In verse 36, you reject me? What's the last word of verse 36? Death. There's life and death. Which way you want it? Which way you want it? He says, make your call. You know, when I was a young guy, if you want some good reading, I picked up, because I was from the 60s, where everybody was going inside of themselves to argue what was truth. And ultimately, it was epistemological morass. We didn't know. We just didn't know. Uh, Woodstock, nobody knew if it was wrong to have sex in the mud. Okay. It was just all mixed up. Get your motor running. We had the music. Nobody could tell. Like the Beatles' great song. Come on, let's do it in the road. One of the great, great songs of our day. Jimi Hendrix. Remember him? Everybody died at 27, drugged out. And so we, we, had, we had removed the Bible. Back before the 1900s, everybody knew what was true. It was the Bible. You just weren't sure what the Bible said. Now we didn't know that anything was true. And we didn't know how to find it. And I picked up, when I was a young guy, I trusted Christ because I ended up resting in the Bible. And I was still going back and forth with how do we know things are true? And I picked up a book by a guy named Colin Brown, who was uh, also a student of Cornelius Van Til of Princeton. And Colin Brown was a Calvinistic thinker that wrote a book called Christianity and Philosophy. And he said this, he said, man cannot go into himself, whether he's Socrates, Gautama, or anybody else to find out what is true, because it assumes that your mind can always be true and right and rational, and it will correspond to reality. And you can stand outside of nature and draw correct appraisals, but that idea of the mind being free and drawing truthful ideas is a Christian idea. And if you're going to walk by pure rationalism, you have to eliminate that. So you don't know if you are a daydream in the mind of a, an iguana. All right. You ever seen the series, The Matrix? Everybody's a dream. You don't know if it's real or not. And so that's where the sixties left us. And I got this book by Colin Brown. And he said, God does not ask you to debate with him. God assumes the position that is called evidentiality. In the beginning, he is there. Fact. 
The heavens tell of the glory of God. Fact. He has not left himself without witness, giving you foods in their season and rains at their times. Fact. Man has a conscience. He knows what is right and wrong. You might claim that there is no final truth and you're going to let your kids figure it out on their own until Chris Rock <laughs> insults your wife. Are you with me? Will Smith is a classic free bird until a guy disrespects his wife. And now it's on. And so a headhunter may be a headhunter, but what does he not want you to do? Hunt his head. Yeah. So we all have in the pinch, we all get Baptist real quick. Okay. It's like I've said, people want extraterrestrials to come down here and rule us, but they want Calvinistic extraterrestrials. Okay. They got to be in BSF if they're going to lead us. So Colin Brown made the statement. He said, God does not debate with men. You will come to the table bowing down to what you know. And that's that he is there and he's not silent. And the Bible is self-evident and Christ is self-evident and sin is self-evident. And he will not debate with you. And if you want to try to find common ground built on rational knowledge, you will have to go to hell. But he is not going to bow down to the bar of reason. He's there. And he got that from a guy named Cornelius Van Til. Both of them are great reading. Van Til's good if you're having problems sleeping. Okay. But he was the same deal. And that just cleared things, buddy, for me completely. God does not debate you. You know he is there. My soul knoweth it very well. Your problem is not reason. Your problem is arrogance and you're running from the light. And that helped me. They came to Jesus and they said, by whose authority do you do this? Jesus said, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John the Baptist, by whose authority, heaven or by men? John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet that pointed to Christ. He said that I'm the Messiah. Who do you say John the Baptist is? Are you willing to bow to the, revel, rev, the revealing of the word of God in the Old Testament of which John is the final word that says who I am? Will you acknowledge that? They said, uh, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you. If you're not willing to acknowledge the self-evidence of God in his word, I'll not debate with you. So you go away with no knowledge. So we're not going to start and let you on your reason figure out who I am. And when I read that, it just put everything at rest right there. They said that the darkest day of human history was when Rene Descartes went in his room and whereas man had said that there is a God who makes himself known, you know what truth is? What does it say? Descartes said, no. He took his Bible and said, let's get rid of it. He went into his room and he said, you know truth by yourself. You reason yourself and find the truth. And he went into his room and he said, the statement that most of you have heard, I think... Therefore, I am, I think. <laughs> he opened the door to man's pursuit 
And man always asked the question, says who, till John Paul Sartre said, if there is no God, there is no truth. Israel got there in 1400 BC. They were waiting on you. And so they said, Steve, that was the darkest day of Western history was when Rene Descartes went in his room and tried to find God in himself. You can't do it. Pray with me. Father, we have laid before us a bound volume in pen and ink and in parchment and in skin on a book cover, a very plain book that begins with the beginning, goes through the law, and then the history of that nation, their failure, the prophets that called them back, their failure there, the coming of Jesus, crucified and within the sovereignty of God, formed the foundation by which justice was displayed and, and appeased. And by the work of your Holy Spirit can bring men into life once again and threaten us with the book of Revelation with what happens to those who do not bow to the most obvious of notions. And so, Lord, we're in a country that has gone mad they have gone crazy from the Oval Office to the teacher's office. We have gone insane. And you have left us with the truth and the light within us. And our pearls shine the brightest on the black velvet of our day. And so let us, God, be faithful to you in this new Roman Colosseum that we are in. And Father, we'll ask these things for Christ's sake. Amen.